Good morning, everybody. Bright and early. So my name is Jeanette Steemers. I'm from King's College, and I'm going to moderate this session uh, today. Um, this session is an important opportunity uh, for you as an industry to say what you want, uh, knowing that there are regulators like Ofcom in the audience. It's a very interesting year for the children's media industry. Uh, last night, first of all, we uh, heard that the BBC has announced that it's going to be spending an extra 34 million over three years in children's programming. Um, that's part of a longer uh, development, and Ofcom is about to uh, um, have a consultation on the BBC's uh, role. Um, the consultation closes on the 17th of July, and I would urge all of you uh, to respond to Ofcom's consultation because it's asking for responses on the BBC's mission and public purposes, including uh, the suggestion that the BBC should originate 500 hours a year of children's programming, so that's going to come up this year. Uh, the second important thing this year, and we're going to be talking about that, is um, the UK recently passed the Digital Economy Bill, which gives Ofcom the power to impose quotas on commercial PSBs, like ITV, Five and Channel 4. We don't know yet what those quotas will be, so now is your chance as an industry to say what you're looking for in advance of Ofcom's public consultation, which will be announced soon. And thirdly, uh, this year, we should be hearing more about this, and closely connected to quotas, there is the prospect of a public service broadcasting contestable fund this year, which was first outlined in the government's white paper on the BBC last year. Again, we don't know the full details of it because the uh, uh, DCMS is still pouring over submissions to its consultation from earlier in the year. It's likely to be a pilot lasting two or three years with 60 million of funding in total and children's content may have to share that money with other genres. So again, it's an opportunity for you as an industry to say how it should run. So I'd like to introduce our uh, speakers today. Uh, on my uh, left, we have Anne Brogan, who's the director of Kindle Entertainment and a member of the board of the Children's Media Foundation. Next to her, we have Mike Dix, who's a web designer, lobbyist, trainer, and humorist. Uh, next to him, we have Rosina Robson, who's Director of Nations and Children's at PACT. And uh, next to her, we have uh, Jack Powell, who's Policy and Communications Manager of the Creative Industries Federation. And at the end, we have Kate O'Connor, who's Executive Chair of Animation UK uh, and uh, the Screen Alliance. So welcome to you all. We're going to start off with the questions, and I'm going to ask the first one. Uh, which is brief. We heard last night uh, the good presentation from the BBC and their announcement. So um, just briefly, I'd like you to, the speakers, to uh, give their first responses to that announcement about extra funding for children's. So Anne, what do you think? Um, well, I, th I think uh, even separate to the money, which is obviously wonderful, I think what the thing that is uh, the most um, important is that the BBC have put children right at the forefront of their vision for the BBC in the future and um, much of the credit goes to the people within the BBC who have fought so hard and so long to achieve that kind of 
profile and prominence for kids. Um, and it's really wonderful for all of us who um, care so passionately about creating great content for kids. The one thing that I do think needs a huge amount more discussion is the terms of trade for digital content because so much more content in the future will be commissioned in the digital space. I think it's phenomenally important that there are terms of trade that everyone understands and it's important not just for individual producers who are creating that content. I think it's really important for the creative industries in the UK as a whole. Pact fought so hard for terms of trade for linear content in the years gone by, and that is what has made the UK such a powerhouse of creative talent. We mustn't forget that, and we must fight for terms of trade that work for everybody, work for the BBC, and work for the production sector. Okay, thanks, Anne. What about you, Mike? Um, yeah, what she said. <laughs> <laughs> terms of trade are obviously important, and uh, Pact are going to talk about that as well. Um, I um, luckily don't have any commissions for the BBC, and unlikely to ever get any ever again, so I don't ever trust them. <laughs> <laughs> And I do have a lot of experience of not trusting them. Um, I'm not sure we actually heard the great news that everybody says we heard. Um, the, uh, it is good that the BBC is giving more money to children's. It is good that children's is still going to exist in three years' time at the moment. But um, ultimately, I'm not sure we got transparency on the numbers there. Um, I think it sounded like 10 million a year if we're lucky for the next three years and 18 million over three years being spent on digital, which will be outside of terms of trade and probably infrastructure by the sounds of it, probably um, apps that you'll be able to put content in rather than something that's got a value to whoever builds it. Uh, and as Anne says, I think the, the digital sector in the UK uh, is what needs supporting uh, as much as anything else with um, government intervention, Ofcom intervention, BBC intervention in that sector to create a business where people actually own the content that they make. Um, and if you look at the producers, any of you that have got TV shows, I think the announcement yesterday was about broadening a certain number of smaller brands. I'm not sure anyone brought a question up as to, is my show going to be cancelled, um, basically? But it sounded like some shows are going to be cancelled. Um, and they're going to make bigger, um, bigger, faster, stronger, whatever it was, the NASA quote from five years ago, um, uh, out of multi-platform content that we've heard for 20 years. Um, are they going to do that properly? Are they going to invest in digital so that people can make money from it? Um, is Anne going to be able to take her shows around the world and say it's a TV show and a social media this and an adventure game that and an app and everything else? Um, which is fundamentally the way this market works nowadays. Rosina, as a... Uh, Representative of Pact, uh -huh. you must have something to say on some of the business aspects. <laughs> well, of that. I'm a little, I, I guess I'm a little bit more glass half full than, yeah. than Mike about the announcement. I'm, I'm a jaded um, humorous. <laughs> well, so. But um, yeah, we, it, it's great news. I think a lot of a lot of members have, have been contacting me over the last the last day or so, just yeah. just saying it's re really good news for the sector that we've got an additional injection of of investment but and, and totally nailed it really and and was reflected in the comment i made after the, the keynote the question i made after the keynote last night about terms of trade because we're moving into a space now where bbc children is going to be increasingly commissioning content online because it's very clear that actually the proportion of new money will be going into digital 
And how can we have a situation where if you're producing content for the main channels and terms of trade apply and you're getting control over your rights, why doesn't that or a similar type of framework apply in the digital space? It just, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. Not that it ever did, um, because this is something that we've been talking about for a few years. And I think it's going to become increasingly evident um, particularly in the kids space, that we, we really need to have a framework like Terms of Trade. So particularly new entrants coming in, new businesses coming into the market, making digital content, either online first, short form, apps, games, that they can have control over um, what they've created and be able to reinvest in their business and, um, and create solid and, and sustainable businesses going forward. Okay. Um Jack, any views uh, from the uh, Creative Industries Federation on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would want to echo Anne, and it's great, of course, to hear about extra investment in children's. Um, and yes, it is to do with very hard work from a number of people in the BBC. But I'd also um, want to echo one of the sentiments that's expressed by Alice Webb yesterday in the keynote, which was that it's also about how much feedback the industry is putting in about the role of the BBC that has managed to, uh, that allows uh, the placement of things like children's, and also, from my perspective, the creative industries within planning for the BBC. Um, it was feedback from all kinds of indie producers, everybody on the supply chain for the BBC, uh, about their interaction with it that sorted charter, that you know, kind of produced a charter review deal last year, where you had a bit written in about its role within the creative industries and the kind of creative ecosystem of the UK. And so, I, you know, I just kind of want to encourage that behaviour and encourage the people feedback in like that at all times. Okay, and the animation industry, Kate, do you just want to sort of... Well, there's very, the beauty and the um, challenge about coming last on the uh, discussions <laughs> is everyone said everything already, but the, the, so of course we welcome new investment. Of course we want to see what that means for the animation sector. Of course it is positive, but the, the numbers point that Mike mentioned is something that we now need to really look at and see what that means for new partnerships, new content, what's actually going to mean for the sectors. But if I may just broaden it out a bit, just because of the last person on the panel thing, uh, you know, we talk about this golden era we're just about to enter into, which is, um, you know, it's a bit like the buses cliche, isn't it? You wait for a decade and then a whole fleet come on at once. So we, I think we've got to see the BBC in the, con in the context of our discussion on Ofcom and our discussion on contestable funds and our discussion on all sorts of wider issues. It's part of the piece. It's fantastically important that we drill down uh, to the detail on that and see what it really means. And we need time to do that as a membership organisation. We will be doing that and we will be responding. Um, but we also need to put it in that broader context to see how all of this adds up to something that is a groundswell, is a golden era, is something for animation, which is where I'm okay. talking from today, uh, means a real change in the okay. sector. Well, we have, you know, um, we'll be following up uh, on the BBC and some other sessions. Now, just to remind you that Ofcom's holding this consultation about holding the BBC to account mm -hmm. on the delivery of its mission and public purposes. That closes on the 17th of July. So we urge all of you to, you know, submit your responses. But let's move on then to our uh, second question. So can we have question number two, who I think is sitting somewhere around there in the audience, if you make yourself known. Uh, Anna Hume, uh, the chair of the Children's Media Foundation. Um, as, as you've just said, Ofcom is very busy, so it's about to consult on its new power to set and enforce 
children's programming quotas for commercial public service broadcasters, bringing the promise of increased commissions for producers and increased choice for the children's audience in addition to the BBC. This could be a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invigorate content creation for children. What advice would the panel give to Ofcom in setting and enforcing these new quotas? So that's a question about quotas. Um, we have the prospect of quotas coming in this year. Um, Ofcom is about to announce this consultation. So I'll start off with Anne. Uh, you know, we, we have this uh, grand opportunity. So how do you think Ofcom should set and enforce these new quotas? And uh, what are the opportunities there for industry? Um, well, I, I do feel that there absolutely needs to be quotas that um, are uh, framed in terms of both spend and hours. Because let's just think about the commercial PSBs for a moment. They, they have to deliver value to their shareholders. That's a statement of fact. It's not really a value judgment about them. They don't have to deliver great content for kids. And that's not a reflection on the people within the commercial PSBs who I know are very passionate about wanting to create great content for kids. But that is not the purpose of their organisations. And therefore, I think it, the quotas absolutely have to be mandatory. They can't be, we would like you to do this. They have to be, you must do this or they won't happen. Mike, what do you think? Um, <clears throat> I think for, just, I'm not any kind of expert on what Ofcom should be doing about that. I think it would be great if we had uh, more content on the commercial PSBs for kids. Um, I'm not entirely sure how Ofcom are going to be able to enforce this. Um, because I think ITV over the years have demonstrated that they're able to get round this. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and yet Channel 5 recognises, you say, that there is a business benefit for them sorting out that space, or there used to be. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I suppose I'm going to be the pessimist on the panel constantly and not trust any of them. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you would word this in such a way that they won't be able to get round it in some way, shape or form and stick some big American show on that's got a character in a bowler hat and says it's all very British children's <laughs> stuff. So I don't know. Um, I, I'd like, I wouldn't want to be on Ofcom trying to work that one out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So so, Rosina, your, your members obviously have special interests in, in quotas, so, yeah, so yeah, what's your yeah. take on that? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say absolutely hats off to uh, Anne Wood for, for backing the Save Kids Content UK campaign. I think she saw an opportunity there to, to, drive, to drive change through and also just seeing Floella Benjamin's role and the real value that we have from, from someone who's such a strong advocate for the sector and how effective she was at, at really... Um, Getting the government on board, frankly, and driving it through, I think, is, is fantastic for all of us. And I know CMF and others have been campaigning over many years, haven't they, to deliver change. Um, I take issue slightly with what um, Anne said, actually, because I absolutely think that all of the um, broadcasters and the commercial PSP should be producing fantastic content for children. They're all public service broadcasters. They, they benefit from a suite of, of benefits that are attached to that status, and they all should absolutely be producing content for children and the full diversity of the audiences in the UK, which does include um, younger, younger people. I think if we're giving advice to 
Ofcom about what should be in the consultation, I'd say that the, there absolutely has to be a focus on original <coughs> programming. So we're making sure that there's a, a supply of new content coming um, to children and um, that there's always a refresh in terms of what's been provided by the sector. I think making sure that we have a variety and diversity of content for children across um, the broadcasters uh, through different genres and through different types of programming is really important as well. But I think when we got, first got involved in developing the amendment for the Digital Economy Bill, we didn't, we didn't expect there to be um, unrealistic targets. And I do take the point that Anne makes about the broadcasters have got to survive and, and exist in a, a commercial and competitive space that we don't expect those quotas to be completely unrealistic but i think we need to get to a place where uh, at the end of the process each of the broadcasts each of the commercial psbs are doing more and are investing more so i think that's the outcome we'd be we'd be looking to um, see but of course we're going to in, in, engage with the consultation when it's published and i'm sure many of our members will, will have their say along the way as well uh, kate and jack uh, yeah, well, I, I, know, I, I know it's been said, but I think it bears repeating absolutely huge respect um, to the campaign, huge um, achievement, and, you know, you, we should pause on that because it, it seemed unlikely earlier in the year and, it, and, and absolutely agree that mobilising and harnessing passionate advocates in government, um, both baronesses, uh, were formidable. And along with the campaign and the strong arguments about deep, deep, systemic long-term market failure made it um, made it happen and I think the other thing to say is and sorry if this is a plug for Animation UK a bit but it was it's actually having strong trade organizations that do deeply represent the views of the sectors um, and who can do that um, is vitally important and it's particularly important now so in terms of the um, advice I'd give to Ofcom um, well, you've heard some of the issues flashed up, and I'm certainly not, you know, going to uh, pretend we've got all the solutions. But we we have to look at this as an opportunity to look at plurality of output across the broadcasters. So we're not. So that's why I made the point I made about the BBC. In animation terms, we enjoyed um, far better um, output with Channel Four over the years. That's diminished significantly. We want that to be looked at. We want, to, we want the quotas to be not just in terms of transmission, not just in terms of output, but spend and quality have to be in there. And the other thing to say is that we're here as a joined up group of industry representatives, CMF, PACT, Animation UK. We are absolutely working this together and Ofcom are invited to talk to us in great detail about not just how the criteria should be shaped, but how the consultation shaping the questions to inform the criteria should be shaped. We're here and we want to talk. Jack, do you have anything to add to that? From <coughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I, uh, yeah, I, would, I would just also add my congratulations to Anne Wood and the campaign as well, who we've worked with and who did do a fantastic job, as has been highlighted. Um, uh, as a kind of organisation that looks at the creative industries in general, when uh, I kind of... Uh, I listen to my other panellists on the specific issues of what Ofcom need to look at. But again, I would just repeat my point about thinking of uh, opening up the consultation in a way that looks at every part of the creative uh, industry's ecosystem and gets feedback in from every part of it. Um, Kate's point there about how you put the consultation out there, you know, we have to consider with our industry that 
the vast majority of people that are working in creative industries are working with under four people. It's extremely fragmented, and the way in which we channel voices in in the most efficient way possible must always be the start of uh, consideration. That's what I'd say. All right, just to remind people that Ofcom will be holding this consultation shortly, so keep your eyes and ears open and do submit to the consultation because it's amazing that we, you know, that the industry managed and other campaigners managed to get this change uh, into the Digital Economy Bill. Okay, let's move on. We have question three. Please make yourself known. Hi, uh, Martin Nyman from King Bee Animation. Uh, if we get a contestable fund that offers additional funding for children's content, who should run it and how should it function? Should it be open to more than just broadcast con content? Okay, I'm going to start from the other end now. I'm going to start with Kate. Oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> okay, so like, here's, uh, here's one of the fleet of buses that's coming through under our, <laughs> under our vision and that we've got, to, um, we've got to make sure that this all works together. I'm sorry, I'm saying, repeating the same point, but... Uh, yeah, the contestable fund um, consultation that came out in February now, that we're not quite sure what the timeline is for the next stage. Read Autumn, I guess. Uh, from an Animation UK point of view, we argued strongly and vehemently that instead of extending the contestable fund to cover all sorts of other genres, it focuses on the 18% of the audience demographic, i.e. children, and does that well and does it properly. And, and looks at the different um, genres within that, aimed at that generation, at that, at that demographic. So we, talk, we can talk about factual, we can talk about live action, we can talk about animation within that context. If the contestable fund is aimed at this demographic, is aimed at children in line with the Ofcom guidelines and consultation and the additional spend from the BBC, we start to see, literally see, the golden era, the groundswell of uh, policies coming together. So who do we think um, needs to run this? Well, we were steered quite heavily in the consultation towards the BFI, um, and in lots of ways they are an ideal candidate. Um, in lots of ways, however, they don't have the expertise we would need to see firmly in place for this funding commissioning body. We would want to see an advisory board that draws on all of the expertise across children's programming, across children's issues. Um, and we would want to see that there would be forward-looking approaches to investment that do involve uh, committed co-investment to make the contestable fund actually reach audiences in a different way, but on the basis of high quality, original, new programming. Um, and that, I think, is something that's going to take a lot of thinking about in terms of how we build that capacity and build that expertise. As I say, the BFI have got some of those skills, some of that competence that are the logical place for this to reside, but there needs to be a very specific children's focus, should we, of course, get the majority of the 20 million a year fund. So all the money for kids, that sounds Basically, good. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Jack? Definitely, yes. What does the Confederation think about? I think one of the things we'd, um, I'd point to that Kate kind of touched on is, you know, uh, when are we going to see any activity around this? Oh, yeah. And given the kind of, the, what the government has on its plate at the moment, particularly around Brexit and the, uh, uh, and the makeup of Parliament, I, I haven't seen anything about it happening yet. And, I, uh, and I, you know, I'd like clarification on that. The other thing to think about is just... Um, with the announcement that we had yesterday about the children's budget from the BBC, how is that, and its announcements about how 
there might be a refocus on a smaller number of productions, but across different platforms. How does that inform our discussion around the contestable fund and how it might work? Okay, Rosina, I know that PACT in the debate had a, shall I say, a more nuanced position on <laughs> contestable funding. So, so how does PACT feel about it now? Well, it's, it's obviously a big, it's a big pot of money that, as, as Jack said, you know, we hope they get, they get on and work out mm. how they're going to, to spend it. Uh, one, one of the issues that we were slightly um, wary of is how do, you, how do you avoid a fund just funding content that would have been made anyway? And I think that's one of the issues that we were um, conscious of in the consultation, which is why... Two of the suggestions we made in the response to the consultation was actually trying to structure the fund in a way that um, maybe you could siphon off parts of the fund in different ways, for example, to support development. So in that way, that actually you'd, you'd be able to fund types of content that maybe seen a bit more risky or that perhaps wouldn't be, be funded and developed in, in other ways. And then the other way that we thought of was to create more of a, a support stream and part of the fund could, could support new entrants to the market. So it might be where content has got backing from an NCN, it, it's, got, um, it, it's, it's got a platform on one of the presence on one of the platforms and, and then that would build an audience potentially for, for broadcast. And in that way, you're bringing on new talent and new ideas and new entrants in into the market as well. And it's not, just, it's not just about funding content that perhaps would have been made anyway. I think in terms of who should, who should run it, I think the principle that we want to see f followed is as far as possible, the money goes into content rather than administration. I mean, obviously it, would have, it has to be administered properly, but I think as far as possible, we want to see as much, as much of the money go into great content as possible, basically. Okay. Uh, Mike, as a content maker and uh, somebody who makes yeah, content for the web. Me, really. yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't everyone think it should all go to them? The, uh, 20 million pounds feels like a lot of money. It's not a lot of money, obviously, but, um, but it's seed money. And I think not having any vested interest and not actually being pessimistic about this one, I think there's a real opportunity to do what Jeremy Isaacs did with Channel 4 back with Margaret Thatcher um, and create this industry that sits in front of us now, or at least make the start of that process using this contestable fund. I think we should ignore linear broadcasting because to be the digital guy in the room, it's going to die. It's just taking longer than I predicted 20 years ago. Um, you know, everything is digital now. It's, everything is on that platform now. Um, I think it's time we looked at uh, Ofcom, dusted off the papers they've got on the PSP, uh, the, the public service platform that they were talking about eight, nine years ago. Um, which was to create the equivalent of a Channel 4 for digital content. A new place with an editorial direction, with somebody leading that that's got a vision for how that should work. Um, and, and therefore, the, it will be totally different content to the kind of content Channel 4, the BBC, or anybody else commissions currently. Um, and would focus on these companies that need to be given a business opportunity, to be given terms of trade. It would give an opportunity to put terms of trade in place for that money on digital content and prove to the BBC and Channel 4 that there's a business model that can work there. It's not enough money to do all of that, and most of it would be spent on administration and bureaucracy to create that organisation. But I don't think that would be a bad thing for a couple of years to get going. Uh, and who runs it? I don't know. We'll find somebody cool in Hoxton that can do that for us. Um, we need a new Jeremy Isaacs. And it could be the saving of Theresa May's government. So I think there is a reason, even in this dispute. You know, I don't thank Maggie Thatcher for much, but Channel 4 is the one thing I thank her for. Okay, yeah.
Anne, as a, a briefly, because we've got other questions to get through, I mean, as a programme maker, I mean, what's your view of a contestable fun? Um, well, you know, as, as you will have got a sense of from all of the other answers to the, to the question, it is, it's, really it's a really complex issue as to who should run it, how it should be run, how the funding might operate, what kind of content might be on it, whether there's a, a plurality of broadcasters, including commercial broadcasters, who might match fund what the contestable fund puts in, which is one of the CMF suggestions. But I think what I would say is in just really, really simple terms that I think should be at the heart of this fund is that it should be PSB content, but with innovation at its heart so that it's content that you don't see elsewhere whether that's in terms of how it's structured how it's delivered um, the voices that are heard on it the issues that are embedded at the heart of it so I think in order to be distinctive and in order to be something that the other broadcasters aren't already doing it needs that kind of criteria built into the 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 commissioning vision for the contestable fund okay that's great okay we have our we're moving on now we have our fourth question which is about small companies i believe so please make yourself known thank you hello good morning kath shackleton from fettel animation nobody seems to be uh, championing small companies in the children's sector right now Naive to think that small companies will be okay because they've got the internet and recourse to new revenue models. What are organisations like PACT, Animation UK and the Creative Industries Federation doing for small companies when new revenue models are stacked against us? Okay, thank you for that question. I'm going to sort of mix the order up a bit now and I'm going to ask Pat to Ooh. ask, uh, Rosina to ask that question, <laughs> followed by uh, uh, Animation UK and the Creative Industries Federation in the order of the question. Oh, so that's fair. Thanks. Well, of, co of course, I'd say I think we do loads for small companies, but and I, I've got a great long list of things, but I'll, I'll stick to a few, a few of them. And obviously, we've, we've talked about uh, securing terms of trade for digital, which is a campaign we'll pursue over the next few months and we hope comes to comes to something because I think it'll be really important for smaller companies. I mean the, va the vast majority of our members are small are small companies anyway and um, we do a fantastic amount as well in the in the international space. We ran um, an export accelerator last last year around the UK which I know a number of smaller companies particularly uh, sort of animation companies in um, in Northern Ireland and, and elsewhere really engaged with it and saw it as a really key tool at, at the, from their, their point of view and from the terms of the, the stage of development they were at as well. Um, so I think certainly in the international space, we've got, we've got a, lot to, a lot to offer. And I know a number of um, smaller companies have been out to China with our international director recently. And there's certainly, I think there's a separate session on China, isn't there? But there's certainly some really important opportunities coming um, from, uh, from the China market in the future. We've also been very heavily involved in some work with the Creative Industries Council as well um, around both mapping the risks and opportunities around Brexit, which is very relevant to, to small and large 
companies, but also putting together a deal around the industrial strategy as well, and putting around a deal both for screen and the creative industries to say, these are all the things that the, the sector has to, has to offer, and these are the things we want from the government. And part of that is a package to look again at access to finance funding, particularly for smaller firms, both startups and companies looking to grow. So I think that's a really good, good piece of work as well that's um, very, very relevant for the current, uh, current climate. Okay, but so lots more to say. But, okay, um, so Pact, get on to Rosine if you're a small company. Pact is doing a lot. Um, so Animation UK, what's, yes. what's your stance well, on we small do that, you know, companies. what the Romans ever done for us, pitch as well, except for we, we are only six months old. We are the new kids on the block in this incarnation. We established formally just at the beginning of this year, but actually the small companies in animation are at the heart of what we're doing. We are constantly reaching out to members and potential new members to come in and tell us what their needs are. There's another session today actually about that. Come and tell us what the issues are. But in terms of what we're doing now and what we've done in the, in the um, first six months of our operation is very much identify the issues to do with, it's been picked up a bit in the previous question actually, the issues to do with how small companies, and, and indeed freelancers, I'm doing that because CIF have done so much here, actually struggle to, to get access to development funding, struggle to retain and grow IP brands, struggle because most of the legislation and regulations and um, support for small businesses don't really apply to IP content generating businesses. We're not just about the content sector, actually, we're about the service sector and distribution and so on. But we really want to drill down and come up with a clear manifesto for small companies and we will then work with everyone we need to work with. And one of those ways, as Rosine has already said, is through, you know, it's like the Russian doll scenario. We can work within our animation context, but we need to feed this up and lobby through. And the, the opportunity that we as creative industry participants have been given as one of the five selected growth sectors to go back and tell the government what we need to change through a sector deal, one of the other buses, um, is absolutely key here. We want, we want real R&D um, investment for uh, pr small production companies. We want r a real support for development funding. We want uh, a, a, an analysis of what these uh, preconceived support systems for small businesses actually mean for our sector. And that's what we're going to prioritise, uh, particularly over the next three months. So Animation UK has got small business emphasis. I mean, Jack, Jack how does the um, uh, Creative Industries Federation see its, its role? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what I'm going to say kind of follows on from what has been said by Rosina and Kate about this, this Russian doll structure. Um, basically, the Creative Industries Federation, our mandate is to bring together the voices of people working in all different sectors of the creative industries from, you know, uh, individual freelance practitioners in theatre or art through to visual effects, uh, graphic design, architecture. Because when you kind of, when you collectively put your heft behind issues of common concern, that's when you get traction. If you look, as Kate said, at the way the government is looking at its uh, uh, approach to domestic business at the moment with the industrial strategy, it's named creative industries collectively as one area of priority. So we really need to make kind of points uh, together. Issues that, um, you know, that kind of cross-cut, even if you have slightly different positioning, are things like access to finance, as we said, access to business, uh, business support and export, um, intellectual property and copyright, 
protections. Um, across the creative industries, as I said already, the majority of businesses are operating, the vast majority of businesses are operating with fewer than four people. And it's kind of, so kind of supporting anybody that's working in the creative industries essentially is supporting small businesses to access all these, uh, the opportunities they have to maximize their pro productivity. Um, the two ways that our work are kind of manifesting most at the moment, I would say, are around Brexit and around industrial strategy. Now, Brexit, we um, did a huge uh, spate of work, pretty much as soon Can as the referendum... Can we leave the Brexit thing for a bit later? Yeah, fine. Okay, well, I'll talk about it in a minute, but we're doing a lot of work on visas and immigration, and I'd invite you to input into okay. that, what you need from a new system. Right. Um, but then, also, yeah, uh, on industrial strategy, it is about uh, joining up businesses with... Uh, Processes that are put in place to help them export, to help them access finance, to help them um, yeah, connect with people in the area that we're looking at. We're also looking at local planning and how you can kind of uh, uh, get local authorities to better support small businesses through protection of workspaces, for example. It's something that London are working on at the moment and we're feeding in on. Um, again, it's, this is so broad brush. I'll okay. stop there. All right, so we have two small businesses at this end of the panel. So, Anne, and what's your reaction? As, a, as somebody, can I call it? Small business, Kindle? Small oh, business. yeah, yeah, okay. we are definitely a small business, yeah. Um, no, I, I think there are great champions for, for small businesses in our industry. I mean, you've heard Pat speak and Animation UK speak and Jack speak. Um, and what I would urge all of you to do is to, you know, don't sit back and wait for these organizations to help you speak to them go to them go on their websites find the right person to phone up and get their advice because they are fantastically helpful and supportive whatever stage you are at uh, of the growth of your business and i would include in that um, the eu media fund as well um, because that has been a huge support to us as a business. Um, it's enabled us to have uh, a conference, for example, to reach out to Asian writers in the UK who hadn't previously um, written for television for kids um, to bring them into our company and give them a workshop to give them an opportunity to write. We wouldn't have been able to do that without EU media funding. So be active go out to all of these people, and I would include skill set in that, and get as much advice and help as you can. But having said that, having said that there are great champions for all of us uh, to support our business, I would also say it is really, really tough. We've been going 10 years, and it's as tough now as it was at the beginning. Um, I, I won't go into all the reasons it's tough because you all know them, so you probably don't need me to repeat them. But um, it's having champions doesn't necessarily make the day-to-day -day, uh, effort of winning business easier, but it does give you a framework in which you're more likely to succeed and you don't feel so alone. OK, Mike, briefly, what's, what's your take on this? Is it... Really briefly. Yeah. Um, I, I used to work for Pact about eight years ago, and I would uh, absolutely back up the fact that they have some fantastic services for small businesses, um, particularly their legal services. Their, their, their value for money um, is um, absolute. Um, I would say, having been sacked by John McVeigh, um, <laughs> that... 
I would say that I do think that um, I hear this from a lot of small businesses in, the, in this sector that uh, PACTs are following the trajectory of the larger businesses in the market. Um, and that's great. It's testament to PACTs work over the last 25 years that we have a growing market. It's testament to Margaret Thatcher and Jeremy Isaacs that we have that. I'm going to be the only guy that doesn't say the B word. But the reality here is that small businesses have very different needs to the big businesses in this sector. Very different needs. As Anne says, primarily it's about getting your foot in the door with commissioners. It's about getting commissioned and finding ways to pay the bills. Um, and, and those are the issues that we want dealing with. Not necessarily can we lobby government to, to, to get a health and safety rule that helps us. That's beautiful and it helps all of us, basically. But. Um, the reality is we need networking that gets us directly in front of people that will give us money. We need as many opportunities to get that as possible, like these conferences, and they need to be supported. But if you're not feeling serviced, and if you don't do what Anne says and reach out to these guys and ask them for help, they won't help you because you've got limited resources. You can't knock on everybody's door every day and ask you what you need. So go and ask them, definitely. If you don't feel satisfied by that, think about what you do want as small businesses. Get together in a group at a bar and work out how to lobby because that's how PACT form. That's how um, Animation UK form. You know, you, you've got to get yourself together and say, these are our issues. We want something done about it. Let's lobby these guys to help us. Let's lobby government directly to get something done. Um, and, uh, you know, we're in an age where we can do that. We can get ourselves together, build a Facebook page, start a group. It's a lot easier than it used to be in the past. So if you're not feeling satisfied, let's do something else. But I don't think, as a freelancer, a, a man and his dog, literally, that produce stuff and books and cartoons these days and does it all online, I don't think that these organisations can help me and I can't justify uh, putting the money into them necessarily to get the rewards that I'm likely to get. Because at my stage of business, I'm really looking for help to get the business. And therefore, even the investment to get the legal aid from PAC basically would be a little too high for me, basically. So I think there's something below that that could benefit from their lobbying and feed into them, mm. but represents the way that we all want to uh, work in that smaller level because we're not endemol. Okay, thank you very much. And that's possibly something, a discussion that can carry on uh, later. But uh, we now have our next question, question five. So please make yourself known. Hi, uh, John Hancock, Director of Production at Three Arrows Media. Uh, the question is, children's media have a particular responsibility to encourage and nurture people from as wide a range of backgrounds as possible, both on and off screen. How can the children's media industry further improve both the diversity of its workforce and the representation of diversity in its content? Okay. I'm going to start with Kate, because I think animation's quite an interesting one, but I'm not sure whether, you know, how much you want to say on that, but yeah, let's start with you. Well, it's a huge, I mean, they've all been huge questions, but this is a huge question, I would argue, for animation, but actually for also for the, all of the creative industries, because some of the issues that are inherent in the employment structures of the animation se sector are, you know, common across the board, freelance, project-based, small company-based, et cetera, et cetera, all of which almost kind of set up barriers to diversity. Um, and we need to change the way that we think about um, dismantling those barriers, which isn't so much about, you know, initiatives, but much more about a systemic approach to what we want our industry to look like and who we want to run it and who we want to influence the huge decisions uh, that get made that affect our entire society. So I know that's quite a grand answer, but it's a massive industry, the, uh, a massive issue for the creative industries and, 
and also for animation. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about on screen um, because that's uh, slightly less relevant, but the workforce is very relevant to us because that impacts on what is then commissioned, made and seen on screen. And we need to do so much to address these issues. There's great organisations like Animated Women, for example, who do lots of great networking and mentoring and so on and address some of the issues that women face in the industry. But we think, and maybe this is something for later on in terms of Brexit-related questions, I'm not sure, we think that when we're looking at one of the biggest in issues our sector is facing, i.e. skills and talent, we've got to come at that come from a completely different take, a completely different approach. And we need a strategy that is absolutely encouraging new voices and new talent, and not just through schools and university, but actually through uh, supported development that's ongoing and that isn't just a bit about a project fund here or an initiative there that's long-term. We've got to do something about this because this isn't a, a nice thing to have. It's essential to our business, it's essential to our sector, and it's essential to the whole of the creative industries. Rosina, I know that PACT has got a, a diversity initiative for this... I mean, how, what's your take on that question? Yeah, yeah, we've got, um, some of you might know, we've got a, a great scheme actually run by our head of diversity, Anjani um, Patel, that's been running for the last five years, actually, I think, which, which brings in young di and diverse talent, mainly off, off screen um, into indies, and they get an opportunity to have a sort of six-month placement, mainly in the big um, indies that are London-based, but it's... But, the Indies put actually quite a lot of investment in, into the scheme and they're paid the London living wage so that gets around any issues of, of kind of access from um, socioeconomic background and they get access to training, to mentors, um, to quite technical training, for example camera work but also some of the softer skills that I think young people benefit from from just being in the workplace and, and being around different executives and we actually this year launched a scheme in Scotland, so actually a lot of smaller companies uh, that are Scotland-based have engaged in, in giving uh, young people north of the border opportunities as well, which is fantastic. Um, I'd just say more broadly, some of the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years is to really try and encourage companies to think of diversity as a creative opportunity and to make sure they've got a diversity strategy worked out for their business but also think about it in terms of the different levels of the business and, and more importantly to make sure that leadership, the buying is, is there at a leadership level because that's the only way you can really make sure that diversity has um, sort of lasting and, and a sustainable impact within the business. But, um, you know, my, Mike's best friend, John McVeigh, is chair of the um, Creative Diversity Net Network, which is a cross... Um, cross-industry initiative so obviously we're, we're kind of doing you know doing what we can and I'd say as well we've got a really great um, website there's a diversity web resource we've got all sorts of policies and guidance and links to um, advice for disabled talent and links to um, databases of, of different uh, diverse talents so do have a look at that it's well worth well worth a look. I mean, Anne, as a, as a smaller producer I mean how, how do sort of issues of diversity sort of affect you, you as, a, as a company, your company, or how do you see it sort of in the business generally? Well, I, I think it's exactly the same issue whether you're a small company, small producer, or, or a large producer. It's, you know, as Kate said, it's phenomenally important. It's 
possibly the most important issue facing all of us in the room here today. Look around. We do not reflect Britain. At least, I think it's something like 14% of people in the population uh, as a whole are from BAME backgrounds. In London, that rises to 40%. We don't reflect Britain. Our companies don't reflect Britain. The people who create content for us don't reflect Britain. And the only people who can change that, or perhaps not the only people, but the key people who can change that are every one of us in this room. That in terms of our roles and our places within our businesses, we have to go the extra mile to find those voices and bring them into our companies, bring them onto the screens, bring them behind the screens. And there are organisations out there who can help you do that. I mean, Racine's talked about what PAC does. There's another organisation we've used a lot who've been brilliant um, called uh, Creative Access. Um, and they have a website and all their policies are on the website, but they're not the only people. There's at least 10 organisations who will not only help you recruit people, find people and recruit them, but will support those people often in their first job in the industry. So I guess it's, it's, it's not down to initiatives, it's not down to what the BBC does or doesn't do or what the other broadcasters do, it's down to every single one of us. Okay. Thank you. Um, Mike, very, very briefly. I know, because I know, I'm sorry, I'm that sounding discriminatory, quiet, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I won't mention John again. Um, very quickly, I'll give you some very good practical advice. Last week, I was at the 10th anniversary of a company called Think Bigger, who've done a number of diversity schemes over the years for Channel 4. I've been very, very proud to teach on those courses from the beginning. Um, I saw a family, I will get very emotional about this, I saw a family of maybe 100 um, black, brown, wheelchair-based, lesbian, gay, um, I, multiple sclerosis sufferers, I don't know, there was a room full of the most talented people where that was not important. But it did not look as white and middle class as this room, I tell you that. Um, but they were all now working in production companies, all of them working um, in, in uh, the creative industries because Think Bigger and Channel 4 and the diversity scheme at PAC had helped them get there. What you can all do is they uh, think bigger have just started an initiative called Foot in the Door. The reason I'm plugging it is I design their logo. Um, so uh, they are looking for you to donate half a day of your time to provide a workshop for people of um, diverse backgrounds um, to pass on your knowledge and contacts and make contact with these people and help them and offer yourself up as a mentor. It's a really easy scheme to get involved in. I'll try and get shared the information, but that's an easy way to do what Anne's saying because if you've only got four employees reflecting British society by adding a fifth one that happens to have all the problems that you need isn't really <laughs> gonna help. So, so the reality is give up some of your time, help these people get their contacts. They're looking for ways to get jobs and get into the industry all the time. I've never seen such a dynamic and smart and creative bunch of people. Um, we're missing out on some great voices if we're not using them. And if you're doing animation, get yourself a brown pen. 
Mike, thanks, thanks for that uh, really good, good advice there and, and you know, urging people to sort of get involved and, and get stuck in. Um, I'd now like to... We have about five minutes left, and it's kind of a really important question, uh, but can I have question seven, please? How can we... How, can we, how are we ever going to solve this in five minutes, this question? I have no idea. Uh, there we go. I think the panel has been alluding to this. So one year on, uh, are the potential implications of Brexit both positive and negative, any clearer? And what should we as industry be doing to prepare ourselves for B-Day? <laughs> oh okay. no, what's that? <laughs> okay, Jack, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to sort of start yeah. with, with this one. We've got about five about or six five minutes, minutes left. Okay, well, so just save us, save us now. <laughs> All right, okay, well, I mean, I won't cover, so we, oh, we have done a huge amount of work on this in Federation, um, including like a 74-page report, which will be difficult to summarise in five minutes. But um, basically, uh, I think that industry has come a long way in identifying where potential problems are going to be. People have really mobilised around that, and uh, people like the Creative Industries Council, as alongside the Federation, have done a lot of work. Um, there are huge potential issues for the creative industries, because we are inherently a very international organization. If you look at our staffing, if you, uh, we have far higher numbers than a lot of other industries, and we also need to bring people over short-term, long-term, all that. Um, we collaborate internationally through things like the um, media scheme that was discussed earlier. Um, what I would say is that the creative industries are at a disadvantage when it comes to Brexit negotiations by virtue of their makeup in comparison to other sectors. If people want, if the you know, negotiators want to talk about what Brexit might look like for the energy industry, they have to talk to four or five stakeholders and they've got the market down. Whereas there are so many of us working on so many disciplines that how you get that voice, uh, how we kind of make our point collectively is really difficult. Um, I will just say that there, so we spoke to about 500 organisations when we were putting together our report on potential problems um, and potential opportunities too. Um, but these are around skills and talent. At the moment, as we said, we are highly dependent on other, uh, on other uh, countries to bring in the talent that we require. It's around trade and investment and where we might find new markets. You know, it's all very well and good talking about China and India as new potential partners for trade. But if you look at uh, the intellectual property protections and how they're in place there, are we going to be able to turn a profit through that kind of trade? How are we going to make sure that that's a part of any free trade agreement we sign? Um, we want to look at how leaving the European Union is going to affect things like copyright broadcasting issues. And the final one that I want to talk about, and I'll just focus in on for now because we're doing some work on it and I'd invite all of you to contribute to it, is around visas and, uh, visas and immigration. Um, the current, if freedom of movement ends, basically the visa system is going to have to change and at the moment it does not suit the requirements of our sector. We need experts to come in for specialist roles that won't be earning the, what is required by minimum salary cap at the moment. We employ vast amounts of freelancers. Currently, there's no visa to bring in that kind of workforce, and we rely on the EU entirely. We bring people in for project-based work, uh, you know, for, sh short, uh, for short periods of time. There is no official understanding of what constitutes an industry engagement via the visa system. So people can get chucked out even when they're doing, you know, they won't be able to stay for work that they need to do. We want to work on what a new visa system would have to look like to support the success of our sector and to make sure that it continues to be the fastest growing part of the economy. Now, uh, we're in negotiation with the government about this, and I would invite all of you to get in touch with the Federation and talk to us about what you need from a new system. Um, other than that, I'd, re I'd redirect you to our website because there is a whole host of information we are just not going to get like, time to so, look into now. So the so. message is 
get in touch with the Confederation and tell them what you need. Federation, and, uh, but yes. Yeah, so the well. Federation, sorry. The Fed. The Fed, the Federation. So, Animation UK, I mean, you, um, Jack was alluding to some of the issues surrounding animation. I mean, uh, you know, animators, very international industry, people yeah. coming all over the world. I mean, how, how are you viewing this? Well, I mean, the, all of the, the points that Jack's made are points that we are actively working on and trying to resolve, either through the Fed or the CIC, or through, um, you know, working with government, uh, the Department for International Trade and so on. We are looking at supporting, you know, opportunities in new markets and so on. The, 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 the kind of flip side of the migration visa coin, which is, um, you know, obviously the skills and talent we have here in the yeah. UK, is, is our, probably our number one issue at the moment. And, that, and when I was semi-bashing initiatives, I didn't mean to bash fantastic things like Think Bigger, actually. But, I mean, we've got to really take a long, hard look at how we develop skills and talent in, in the UK. And, and we all do benefit from a, a you know, multitude of different voices and different nationalities and the kind of programming production that we're involved in. But, hey, we're also constantly hearing that the French and German animation schools do it so much better than our UK schools and that we really need to tackle... Um, you know, what happens here in terms of access to higher education, big things like that is what it meant. Like we can do, you know, tack on initiatives, you know, to make things work and educate our employers, etc., or support our employers. But really, what are we doing about growing our skills and talent base in, in for the new post-BD post day? And that does take a look at leadership and it does take a look at... Um, entry and it does take a look at development um, and support for small freelancers and small employers. So there's a whole raft of things that we need to do and we can only do this, quite frankly, if the government are listening and they're open to those discussions and they're helping us um, along the way to supporting what they have identified as the growth sector for the future post-Brexit. Okay, I'm aware that we're running out of time. So the three people on the panel, you have like one sentence to say what, what you would do with Brexit before we get thrown out. So oh, no. and we can carry on this discussion later in the bar. Rosina. Oh, well, I'll just say quickly that I think, I think we've, we've done ourselves a favour actually as a sector by working together across the creative yeah, industries yeah. To, to really communicate what, what are the risk areas, where are the opportunities, and I think that's really helped because obviously we're vying for the government's attention across a number of different sectors. There are a number of things that we've been trying to do because obviously Europe's one market, but as we know, it is a very global industry. So there's a number of things that we've been trying to do in terms of setting up European missions. We've got co-production initiatives planned um, that support, support the European markets. I think we're sort of trying to be positive about it and say, look, as we are a global industry and we we can, to a certain extent, the industry can help itself. I'd say quick two things to the audience, that if there are countries where would, that would benefit from a co-production treaty, for example, where there are the particular barriers in particular territories, then tell us, because that will inform the, com the conversations we're having with government. And I think also it would be great if we had more of a kind of team GB approach, where, where people are going out to um, emerging markets and finding out information about new funding parts and broadcasters that look in particular opportunities. Come back and tell us, because then we can spread the word and maybe set up targeted missions to particular to see particular broadcasters and, and help other companies. So I think it'd be great if... And I believe there are special sessions on Canada, France and China, yeah, yeah, so yeah. seek those out today. Again, very briefly, because before I get lynched by the organisers. So. <laughs> 
Uh, well, two things. I've not heard the phrase B-Day before. That sounds like the perfect thing to have after a shit's gone down. Um, I know for a fact it took six years for PAC to sort out a co-production deal with Brazil. Right. I mean, that's well, just telly. Largely due to Not difficult. We do international trade. This is a government problem, basically. If you want to know my opinion of Brexit, go and look for Trumpton on Twitter and you'll see it every day. OK. I think the, the only thing that is clear one year on is that the scale of the task ahead of us is absolutely enormous. So I'm going to rely on my Roman Catholic upbringing and go away and say three Hail Marys and our Father. <laughs> OK. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Thank you to our speakers. Can we clear the room quickly? Thank you.